All right, boys, here we are. This is the Race Communique. As always, I've got to welcome my two guests, my two mates, Tom Southern, director of EF Easy Post. Southern, good to have you on board, bud. Hey, mate. Nice to be back again. How are you? I'm I'm doing well, mate. I'm doing well. Um, feeling a bit fresher, I think, than you two, coming off a massive period of racing. And of course, we've got to intro our other guest, Luke Durbridge. Durbo, welcome to the pod, of course, the communique, fresh off the Belgian classics. Derbs, welcome. Morning, well, morning to you, Mitch, and evening to you, Salem. So, uh, yeah, now we're, we're looking forward to cracking into a good pod. I'm a bit... Uh bit groggy i mean looking at myself in the uh, camera and i look i look god awful i need a need a bloody air car yeah. tell, t- t- tell the world what time you got in go on derbo tell yeah. the world. Uh, 2am 2am oh. last night yeah well it's just not healthy is it really like it's my you know like we just do two of the biggest one day classics you do and then you get in a car and you decide to drive to andorra in the snow you know what i mean it's just like Oh, anyway, it's all good. I'm not complaining. <laughs> mate, you could always live in Belgium. Mate, what's wrong with living in Ghent? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like 47% tax or something. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. It's straight out. The benefits <laughs> The benefits of Andorra. Oh, it's out there. We all try and play the card. It's good for training, the lifestyle. But there it is, straight out. We hear it right here from Tobo. It's all about the money. <laughs> <laughs> You got me on a bad day. <laughs> Couldn't back it. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, look, I was gonna, I was gonna lean into the, the horrible flight and all those things, but it is, it is a bit of a bit of a hard trip back from Belgium, Derbs, isn't it? Um, after the classics, especially after the opening weekend, it's a rude awakening. Yeah, it's like the reality of racing. Like, there's nothing really you can prepare beforehand. Um, we flew up there on the. Uh, Thursday and um, did a recon and like we got in at like three o'clock went straight out to the stones to do a bit of a check the pressure and we rode for half an hour and then this storm came in of like sleet and it was just like insane at one point we lost a rider like we didn't know where he was he had no phone we got back to the bus. Like anyone, anyone seen Blake? <laughs> I love, I love it. Yeah, we've got to get into this story in a minute, but I love how you just only decided where's Blake when you got back to the bus. You know, some hours later, it was every. It literally was every man for themselves. It was that gnarly. Like in the I training ride, in the training ride, and just just kept going to stay warm. You know, it's like. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Oh yeah. Well, uh, as you yeah. guys, we've got to we've got to talk about our major partner for this podcast. The race communicate is exclusively being brought to you by the Escape Collective. The Escape Collective was founded in March 2023, so they're coming up on their first year anniversary with the goal of being the best bike website on the internet. But also, the Escape Collective has a network of podcasts that include weekly news, tech, women's racing, performance, and industry stories. It's all ad-free and 100% funded by their members. If you want to take a deep dive into the cycling industry and understand how it got into the trouble it's currently in, there's a great four-part series that has just been released last week that gives you those insights. You've got to just search for the Escape Collective on your favorite podcast services. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you don't get enough information from this podcast, 
then I guess you can always head over to that one and check it out. I might have to uh, <laughs> understand a bit more about my cycling as well and go and check it out myself. Well, you can do it. Do a bit of research for this podcast, uh, listening to other podcasts. Like I've done that before, not necessarily for this, but I just, you know, there's that many people getting interviewed out there. If I'm going to interview them, I might just quick do a quick Google search and listen to someone else's podcast on them. Fair. Let's um, quickly talk about what is going on in this show. We've got the racing recap with me, um, Pellow Chat with Durbo, what's going on inside the Pro Peloton, and then talking some tactics with the race team director, Tom Southern, hear some rumors, what's going on, the view from inside the team car. Um, and then finally, we're going to jump into uh, the community quiz. We've found a new name. Harry uh, Downey has reached out and said, hey, this is, uh, needs to be called the community quiz. What do you think of the new name? Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Well, not Harry. Not bad, Harry. Not bad. <laughs> Shout out to Harry. <laughs> Let's get into the racing because I don't want to waste any more time. There has been so much racing. I can't keep up to date with it all. One, there's no GCN out here in Australia, so it's absolute hell trying to watch any races out here <laughs> unless you want to sort of- How many times do you think we're going to say that this year? <laughs> there's, no- there's no GCN. <laughs> <laughs> Should we start a petition and get GCN plus back? <laughs> oh, man. Even you're saying I'll that. that. The undershirt. Why, why does it affect you so much, Turbo? Well, because like Eurosport doesn't actually show all of it all together. Like before, it was like watch a bit of cross, a bit of track, a bit of road, a bit of mountain. It was just like anything cycling, you know. And you had all those sweet documentaries mm. that you did, you know, watch me drink beers in Tasmania. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something like that. Like that's <laughs> all that stuff. Well, so you can't watch that anymore. My- the best one was I'm going to go to the I'm going to go across, ride across the Alps, the Kipuchi stage, untrained, and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it got to like yeah, Kipuchi finished the stage by now, and I've got eighty k's to go or whatever it was. Uh, yeah, demoralising that was. It was just it was the most demoralising feeling. I was like, oh god, yeah. Oh. Like, let's- I was hoping they did the GCN documentary on your Everesting with the magpies in the background. Like, the, I'll send them actually the real video you sent me. This is so bad. My idea, we're drifting off the topic. But my idea, Everesting was after five thousand meters of climbing, I rode past a pub and I thought, great, I'll have a pint the last thousand meters climbing every thousand meters so five six seven eight i'll just have three points four points i had that point at five thousand meters and i went there's no way i'm stopping again this is just such a bad idea i got i got comfortable i had booze in the system and i still had like four thousand or three and a half thousand meters to climb so yeah Silly, silly. Let's talk about the racing. There is so much racing. Like I said, we can't go through it all. There's been racing in the Middle East. We've got Oman, UAE Tour, Spanish, Portuguese racing, Ruta del Sol, Algarve. You've got Mercia, the Gran Camino. I think we're going to chat about that. There's stuff in the south of France with Ardèche, Tour of the Alps, Provence. But most importantly, we're in Belgium. The classics have started. The opening weekend... It's such a funny one, Durbo, isn't it? Um, because the opening weekend, it gets built up so, so much. It's this thing, and I don't know if everyone understands it out here in Australia or outside of that small world of Belgium, but it just feels like like it's nothing else matters in Belgium than the opening weekend. It's like, it's happening, the opening weekend. It's almost bigger than the actual some classics, it feels like. And especially, I want to hear from you, especially the feeling of, in the racing. It's like such a rude awakening. Durbo, is it still the same? 
is it still like this rude awakening the bunch is just pushing for every inch and you're just like what's wrong with me what has everyone just gone up about 75 notches this year <laughs> yeah no it's still exactly the same the look of fear in some neo pros face is <laughs> priceless <laughs> you see them i wouldn't mind being a classic rider you know they've told their parents that they've told pro teams that they're probably signed <laughs> for that and then you see their faces like Oh my god! And there's just I have this have this scene, you know, like this is what I had in my head. The first in Umlum is like a Tarantino film, and you've got this like really relaxed track going on, and there's just chaos happening around you. You know, there's like guys crashing into gutters, and there's guys you're like, I need a wheel, and there's like <laughs> someone sliding off, and you're just got this like relax, calm, you know, oh, that guy, oh, he's going to pay for that. Oh, I wouldn't take that corner like that. Oh, bang, you know. So, I was just, we were pissing ourselves after the race because I'm like, I had this song stuck in my head, Seabird by the Alessi Brothers, and it was just <laughs> Not familiar so bad song. <laughs> and it just, anyway, it is as carnage as, as normal. Like, it's just like you, you, you the, 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 the weather, the cold, stress, what it means, yeah. Well, yeah, I want to talk I want to talk about what it means because I think there's two sides to what it means and I've got caught up in both of them. You go there, you have this feeling you come out of it with like you either do really well in terms of not necessarily a result, but your feelings, your things you did in the race, you may have got a good result and you come out of it with a bit of a false sort of feeling about like where you're at. I'm actually pretty good this year, you know, and you sort of almost take the, the foot off the gas a bit. Yeah, cool. I'm in a good spot or vice versa. You go there, you're actually going pretty good, but for whatever reason, you punch her, you miss a split in the crosswind, whatever, and you think, oh, I'm not going that good. And you put your foot heavy on the gas and you try and train the house down and do blah, blah, blah. So, it's a weird one. And I almost think, and I was looking at a guy, Mads Pedersen, who came into the opening weekend with great form. It looked like I, I thought Mads was going to do really well there. He just came off two wins, the Tour de Garde and the Tour of Provence. Doesn't go to opening weekend, yet he's going to line up in the rest of the classics. Maybe that's a strategic move. Does have you ever not done the opening weekend? And you uh, explain sort of what I'm talking about. Do you have those same sort of feelings around that? Yeah, like I'd agree with you. Like you can overanalyze opening weekend. Um, I feel like I, I don't never. I mean, I never really go in there thinking like a result is needed, or I just need to finish in the front group of both races. And you like, like if you can, <laughs> love how, you know, I love how easy you put that. Ideal. Yeah, it's like if I could do that, it's like I could probably get a pretty good contract off that. Yeah. So like, <laughs> if you can finish front group in both races, and I, I'm talking like the top thirty guys, yeah. you know, like I was just a bit off. The, uh, I got dropped on the mer um, from the front thirty, you know, fifteen k to go. Like I was a bit upset about that, but also saying that it's just like I haven't trained, I haven't done a race that hard since probably you know September last year, and you can't train it. So I was like, okay, that's not a bad sign, mm. you know. Then in Kerner, then I was there in the group where we were sprinting for fourth. I was like, okay, perfect. That's the next day. I've already shown a bit of improvement. Um, I try not to overanalyze over opening weekend because it doesn't help anyone. Like, it could be filthy weather. It's still so far away and you don't have Paranese and Torino in the legs. And I feel like that just really puts the icing on the cake. As long my biggest thing now is coming out of opening weekend, healthy. Mm. You know, healthy and ready to keep going and motivated to keep going. Like, you showed a little bit of glimpses, like, yeah, actually, I survived these races. I'm still 
I can still do these races. I can still, you know, deal with the fight, the pressure, the stress. And it's more like a mental thing. Like, can I, am I up to the challenge? And I'm like, yep, I feel up to the challenge. Go to Paris Nice and you polish up the form. And then when you come up to E3, you're ready to go. Um, I sort of think that someone like Mads, who's won Kerner before, probably nothing else to prove here. Mm-hmm. Um, other than if it's really filthy weather, he could. There were so many crashes in Kerner. It was it was insane. There was just guys on every corner. So, you know, that's more of a risk for Trek, for example. Mads is now knocking on the door to be probably one of the favourites for, like, Flanders, one of the favourites for Roubaix. And for Trek, that's sort of, like, wouldn't really matter. They, they probably could wrap Mads up in cotton wool bud until then because he's that good and they can just let him out there. You know, same with Van der Poel. He also didn't come. My question then is, Durbo, and I, I, I totally agree with all the points you, you made there, you know, not coming in, the first sort of shock of real racing. My question, maybe it's a question for Tom, actually, is Yumbo Visma. They come in, mm. they not only win by dominance, you know, dominance by winning, sorry, but they dominate the race from the outside. And you can debunk this, Durbo, but, you know, even a guy like Jorgensen, he was saying, I read, heard an interview from him, they are all up at, um, Tenerife training, which we'd seen in the past by Team Sky, didn't necessarily work for Team Sky, I didn't think. But Yumbo Visma dominated the race. So they also haven't had a hell of a lot of racing, harsh racing, like you said, yet something they're doing either in training, preparing to make them all on this point. Even a guy like Jan Trucknik, who ended up winning opening weekend, and not, not to take anything away from him, he was super sharp. It's like, where do they go from here and how did they come to that point? So you've doing training camps with teams and knowing that sort of perspective. How come, I guess, even your team weren't able to do something like that? Firstly, for me, you've seen, I've seen like the last couple of years, they've been ludicrous in, in, in opening weekend and like the first stage of Paris and the first, like they just, they're so good, but then they don't win Flanders, for example. Mm. You know? And they're running out of steam by Roubaix with a classics team. To me, it seems like, I mean, it's a long, long way till the really big, you know, that big week, right, um, with Flanders and Roubaix. And to me, it seems to be so good so early, I would almost be nervous if I was them. Because you put yourself out there, you've put yourself, you know, we're going to dominate with the best team, and then you've got a long, long way to go. That's a really good point, Tom, because there is that question, and especially with Mads stepping out of it, I thought that was a really nice move to miss the crashes as well to stay out of that that idea that the form is definitely running out. One thing I also pulled out of the opening weekend was, I don't know, Dervo, what do you th- agree think about this is that Niels Pollock and Tim Wellens, maybe they were too happy to get second. These guys were sort of just like, you know, Pollock almost looked like he rode um, Jan Traknik to the line. He did a big lead out for him and just sort of went, you know, I can't win this, so I'm happy with second. And even in the interview, he was sort of like that. And then Wellens as well was like, oh, well, you know, how can I beat Van Aert? I'm, you know, it's great to get second here. We're sort of racing for second. I'm like, what is this mentality now? It's like, it's not even like, let's try and do anything or I'm pissed off or whatever. It's just like, oh, well, you know, Jumbo Visma, we're just sort of happy to get second here. The classics, for example, are just like so insanely hard races. The podium now is actually like such a sought after thing. It's not like all about the win. Like Visma is almost like taken to a point like if I run second, like, for example, Tom, if you guys run second in Flanders or we even run second in Flanders, like it's just, that would just be huge. It's like almost like second in the Grand Tour now. You know what I mean? Like 
it kind of feels that way. Like the win is like against Visma is it doesn't seem like unattainable, but like it's a bit like let's not let's be realistic. Like we want to come in. Visma has like six of the strongest classic guys in the one team, you know, and you're sort of like if we can get on the podium, it's like a great great thing. And like Niels Pollock, new team, for example, signed with UAE is a classic guy, not a necessarily a consistent podium guy in classics. Like he's always strong, but he's not like oh Niels Pollock, like he'll be he's like a mad spedison. He's not, you know, and so if he finds himself second in Umwalk, they're like, Yeah, okay, we signed this guy, he's been on the podium at Umwalk. You know, if he gets on the podium at Dwar's door, then it's all like Niels Pollock was a good signing for the team. You know what I mean? But what does it so, what does it do for the team though, Tom? Like, yes, I know I understand the individual I mean, result is great, but for a team, you can't just sort of go, Great, we got second in all these races. Oh, let's go sponsors. We're really good. We're the second best team. In the context of that team, you've got to remember that what they're trying to do is be the best ranked team in the world tour every year. Right. So if yeah. they're scoring points in races which they wouldn't traditionally get points in, right, without Bagatchar there, without somebody else there, that's mm. a win. Because what it's doing is it's keeping the gap close to Visma with, with the points total. So if you look at it, you know, as like a whole, a whole picture, it's a massive win for them in terms of gaining those points and, and ticking that along in, in those races. And so for Pollitt and Wellens, it's great stuff, really. I was confused why they did not sit on in Kerner. Like, I rewatched the, the highlights and it was like they waited for so long. They, they both swapped through with Bernard. Like, sit on. Like, mm. Bernard needs to win. There's a peloton of like 100 guys mowing down on them. That's a huge risk for Visma to take not to win the race. Bernard just has to ride. Like, I know Laporte won the kick, but like, that's not a guarantee. So, well, that was sort of where my know. question came from. And and Tom sort of has, has answered it, I guess. These guys are sort of like, oh, well, maybe they're getting the team orders. You know what? If it goes back to a bunch, we're probably not going to get second in the race. Or maybe mm-hmm. there's a risk that we don't get any more points. Let's just have a look at the situation here and go, okay, we may win it on a lucky chance. But worst case scenario, we're going to get second. And the long game is we need to be the first World Tour team at the end of the year. But I Best guess, does that matter? That matters, does it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It matters. I mean, it's a way that you can actually quantify that you're the best team in the world because there's mm. so many races to win and it's so confused, the whole calendar, that that's one thing you can say, yep, we are on paper the best team in the world over all the races. A couple other things I want to cover just before we move on from racing. There's just so much stuff I want to um, pick up from racing. But just before we leave the classics, Ivan Garcia Cortina, a guy who I think could do really well in the classics. He was 15th in Umlop Head News Blade, 11th in Kern, Brussels, Kern. Durbo, I'm sure you know him from up in Andorra. He's a really nice guy. I got to know him when I was around there too. Um, Spanish guy riding on Movistar. Could he do better on a different team? We've seen the transition from Mateo Jorgensen. That's the angle I'm going at. We've seen him come out of Movistar, and I know Ivan um, Garcia is Spanish and he fits in that environment well, but he loves the classics. It's not typical for a Spanish guy. And I'm wondering whether he could be a real contender if he moves teams. Yeah, I think so, but um depend I think it's a it's a big bit of a depends because if he goes to Bismarck, Cortina's, you know, maybe fifth in line um for a result and he might be doing a job prior to that. You know, like for example the Teach Benute, every single classic he would go to in any other team he'd be outright leader. And, you know, at Kerner, for example, he did the job. He peeled into the climb and he was he was out of there and Bernard went on to win the race. And it's the same with 
Jorgensen, you might find that, yes, he, he might present himself opportunities, but there might be a lot of the time where it results back to Van Aert and Laporte, which are their two main guys, and their victories might not be as much. So I think like Cortina, for example, Movistar have known as building a better classic squad each year. Uh, they've actually got some Spanish guys that want to be there. Obviously, they were third in, in Kerner. They've actually got a like Norwegian guy in there as well. And like they've actually got some guys that they actually want to be up there and they're building a bit of a squad. So I don't know if Cortina would get the same sort of leadership if he would if he went anywhere else. And maybe that, you know, tenth place, that fifth place here, fifteenth place there, like maybe not, not not be possible because he'll be actually potentially doing a positioning role for a Vennard or a Vanderpol. My, That's what. my my rebuttal to that is Jorgensen doing a job put him more in the race. I reckon if Jorgensen was a leader, he would have never ridden as well he did as well as he did in um, Umlaut because he was doing a job. It actually made him be on the front in the right positions. You know yourself sometimes. You're not thinking about the finish line. You're like, oh, I've just got to get into the bed injuries first. You know that's my job to get up that climb. Next thing you know, because you drilled it into that climb, everyone gets dropped, and suddenly you're like, oh, I'm in actually in the front eight here. If I'd been trying to get in the front eight by sitting in fifteenth trying to follow, I wouldn't have made the split. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, for example, if you have an Afeni in your team, he's going to put you in the first couple of sections in the first position and then you go on to do your job from there. So you are in the bike race. You know, and that's that first split, that first explosion, like you might say. If you can avoid that in uh, with a good team, then that definitely goes a long way. Yeah, so I do agree with that as well, Pup. Lastly, coming out of the classics, I want to sort of talk about, it's not really about the classics, sort of out of the start of the year, Luke Lamparty, the young American guy coming from Trinity Racing started with quick steps, sort of one of the only sort of quick step hopefuls coming out of the classics at the moment. But this guy, Southern, interesting. I'm sure you had your eye on him as he was coming through. Starts his season with a podium um, in Spain, then goes on to Oman, two podiums there, another podium in this Musket Classic, and then Kern Brussels Kern finishes seventh. This is a 21 year old who has hit the ground running. What are we thinking about him, Southern, and sort of the new hopes? They've also got Paul Manger coming out, also a young French guy, 19-year-old, out of um, Trinity Racing as well, into Quickstep as well. These are the young guys coming through, the new crop. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to see a guy come from the crit scene, particularly. He's been winning crits left, right, and center in the States. And to come in and perform at such a high level so quickly is... Uh, it's sort of a different style of American rider. You know, we've had quite a lot of the Grand mm. Tour GC type guys come through. So it's nice to see someone coming through with that sort of um, profile. And he's obviously, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's bags of talent, man. Well, it's just one of those guys who doesn't seem to have need to any settling in period, you know, straight into performing at races. Like, like Derbo was saying, most guys were terrified by those races and he's ranked top 10, so... Surprise! You guys didn't pick him up. Yeah, no, I was asleep for that one. It was. Uh, they said, "Do I want him?" I said, "Nah, he's never going to do anything." <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I don't want to waste the whole podcast on racing catch up. We've got other stuff to get into. Dervo is up next with a little bit of pillow chat, and I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more racing with Southern at the end there. All right, guys, we're here this week with Pello Chat. I'm going to chat a little bit about race safety and weather protocol. 
I've just recently come back from Oman prior to uh, opening weekend. We had a few stages there that were changed. So what I thought would be interesting is to delve into just to let people out there know when a race changes, um, you might turn the TV on, for example, you plan to watch this stage, this climb, et cetera, et cetera, and you're like all of a sudden like, well, how did they come to this you know, decision to cancel this stage or shorten this stage and I've missed the, the end because I was meant to watch a 180K stage, but next minute you guys are racing 60K and all you bloody pros are soft. So, you know, Mar, the other day we, uh, we had a stage and a rainstorm came in and they had their annual yearly rainfall in one afternoon and uh, it, was, it was nuts. Like I'm talking like torrential rain, like we were driving through just like puddles up to here. Guys were just like, I'll move up on the outside, hit a puddle, that's a medium strip. So they're just like, crap. <laughs> 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 and uh, just because you can't see, you know, where the flooding was, you know, it's like, I was just like, oh, yeah, okay, stay strictly to the middle of the road. Um, anyway, it was an uphill finish. So we got to the bottom and had the finish, fin fish a black one. It was all, was all okay. Anyway, the next, that evening, what normally happens is there were UCI, mm-hmm. commissaire, head commissaire. Um, there's a rider representative, and I was uh, voted to be the representative of the race for the riders, and Bernie Isel was the director representative. Anyway, they called us down to the lobby in Oman, and the commissaire then is sitting there with the sponsor, which for the, well, it was like a shake of Oman. Mm-hmm. Like, he was one of the big guys in Oman that brought the race, brought the riders to Oman. There was ASO, who were the head organiser of Tour of Oman. Uh, who also organised the Tour de France, people don't know. And then there was me and uh, Bernie. So wow. we were all hashing yeah. it out. Pretty, pretty intimidating. A little bit. Just sort of like I'm sitting there going, well, I mean, I know there's probably every person in this peloton wants to race because a lot of the time Oman is that like prep race for the classics. And if they're going to make it a 60K road stage, then there's not going to be a lot of people happy about that. Look, I, to be honest, I just wanted to sprint because we had only Caleb and that was all we had to do. <laughs> so, I was like, let's just make it flat. Um, <laughs> but they sort of shut me down there. Anyway, so what they did was they went – the hard thing is getting the police on board because at the moment that there was just flooding everywhere. So, what they did was they decided to – like, it's crazy. They just like, we can close any roads you want. Like, that's pretty much what Oman said. We can close highways, anything you want, but like – what do you actually want? So it was like amazing for within <laughs> within a couple of hours, we literally went like that motorway is not flooded. We'll close that. That climb is safe to have a finish. We'll close that. And you guys will just do 70K flat up the climb and that'll be done. Anyway, so we were just sort of thinking like how bad actually is it? And then you go online, you have a look and like these towns are getting like washed away. So it was like proper, <laughs> proper flooding. And... The UCI, ASO, and the commissaire all came up. You mean, you could imagine overnight they would have been out driving this stage. In the morning, it would have been doing getting all the banners ready. Like there's a lot of logistics that all of a sudden go boom, and we still got a stage. So, and and the, our safety was number one priority. So, it's a massive amount of workload in the background, which I never really would have understood. Like I would have been a rider in my bed going like, ah. Oh, I need to do 170K because I'm training for opening weekend where like in the end of the day, like most of the time you just don't get it. There's so many things going on in the background 
And the police were like, well, why can't we just do the stage like that? Well, like, well, the police are out saving lives. They're not mm. like, they're not worried about a little bike race. You know what I mean? I, they just don't have police on tap. You know? I'm even so surprised. Like, oh, yeah, I'm even surprised that the whole race got rerouted like that because I could imagine like in most other countries, they'd just be like, look, we just can't shut other roads down without getting permits months in advance, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know that for sure, but that's not what I'm imagining. Yeah, I think we were lucky because it was Oman and they were so, I mean, they had the, the money, the resources to be able to do it. I don't think any other place they would be able to do it. But yeah, like that was that was pretty crazy. So what they're thinking now going forward is the CPA and UCI coming up. They already have a weather protocol at the moment from my understanding. But what they're trying to do is get like some, some really strict guidelines because it's going to, like you said, Mitch, not every country is going to be able to be like Oman and just go, okay, we can just change it road here, do a road there. But if they can predict in the future, there's going to be, an, in in terms of what they deem a, you know, severe weather issue, heat, you know, cold, snow, mm. flooding, et cetera, et cetera, then they can try and reroute earlier, which means hopefully less races are cancelled, maybe more are edited, um, but they're not cancelled because that's people don't want to see cancelled races neither the riders do and with the climate the way it's going we it's kind of like the new norm um, did you see did you see yeah. what happened down in uh Ruta del sol i was in preparation for this podcast i completely missed that and i'm looking at this race Ruta del sol i'm like that's weird yeah time trial and i'm looking i'm trying to go back and look at it it was a one day race was it only a time trial? All the other stages got cancelled. I know it's not the same vein, but you know, still stages getting cancelled. Yeah, ended up four point nine k for the whole race. That goes to classics form. But I mean, we we had a, a like a similar like, situation twice in uh, Grand Camino where the time trial basically was there was a storm off the coast and they had to make a decision between the teams um, as what they were going to do and. It's one of those things where all the teams wanted the organizer to have the race on because nobody wants the organizer to suffer because they've taken money from towns for a start finish. They've put everything out and they obviously struggled with the, that stage counter with the snow last year. So we ended up with a compromise where the stage didn't count for GC um, and there was no TT bikes because it was just ridiculously dangerous on the coast there. But then later in the race, we had. On the last stage, we had like heavy rainstorms, and they've actually got at Grand Camino, they've got portable weather stations in front, which pop up on like a, you go to their website on your iPad and you can see what the weather's going to be like 50Ks down the road or something, which was quite good. And they basically, it was raining so heavily on the last stage that they cancelled the last climb, but they did it after 70K of the, of the race already being covered, which Mm. Isn't ideal because you've you've it's made your race tactic, yeah. you've made your plan. And Nielsen was down the road in the brakes for the Visma car, but they, they spoke to Visma, the representative, and he came to our guys like, uh, "What do you think we shorten the stage?" And, and we had one in the break, and I was like, "Yep, hundred uh, percent. Let's shorten it, short as you want." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop now. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Finish line in five k. But it's 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 definitely something we're going to face more and more, and you, you need to have. I think a more robust policy in place because otherwise you do get people abusing it for their own gain, you know, um, because that's how cycling brains work. I, isn't it? I think like during the race, during the race is tricky. Like that's, that's really, really difficult to be able to do. Amazing to actually be able to pull it off. But I think I was like, a, like a lot of recons and all. Yeah. 
Ah, okay. So you could just you could just you cut one circuit out. So that's what the only reason it worked. I think a really good point that you made there, Tom. It's going to continue to happen, and, and it is changing the world of cycling in terms of people getting a hell of a lot more soft out there. Um, you guys are becoming soft softies these days and i think the point is and maybe it's a really good time to bring up article of the month or if a new little segment we're going to tap into is is we're going to pick out an article that we find interesting over at the scape collective and one of them was should substitutions be allowed in grand tours um and this comes back to exactly that the abusing of the rules and I just can't see it working, you know, because even though I'm sort of pro substitutions, because I would have loved to got subbed out and subbed in as a, a guy getting tired in grandies, you know, like sub me out, you know, I'll come in for, you know, stage 21, do the parade lap. I'll do stage, you know, one to six, sub me back in at 21. And again, on the on the cancellation of races, I loved it when races got cancelled because it meant that I could just go back to the hotel and chill, miss a mountain stage, you know, if it was too snowy at the top. Maybe that was just me at the end of my career. But the substitution in Grand Tour is a massive topic at the moment, which was, I think, really interesting. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but it was an interesting sort of discussion point. Um, I guess we'd really love to hear you guys, your opinion on that. I'm just going to go out there and say not in one billion years could that ever work in cycling. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, cycling is just such... Thank you. I was like, it doesn't make any sense. No, no, there would be, you know, it's like the, the ways that we find to flick each other, like the stupid little things. Can you imagine if we could bring someone fresh in? It's ridiculous. There's, well, there, I, I sort of like the idea if you fully embrace the idea and you use the substitution and you don't try and hide that it's not an advantage. So people really lean into the tactics of it. But if you try and make it a thing like, oh, a guy's injured and, you know, if he can go in the car yeah. and then he's actually not that injured, he can start the next day. We've got to get rid of all the grey stuff and just be like fully yeah. embrace substitutions like they do in other sports and use it like high ice hockey. It's an advantage of trying to use your subs at the right time. And so you just Which don't ignore like, oh, it's boys. just a- totally. Yeah, totally. You're like, oh, yeah, got a good one coming off the edge. Docker, he's going to just bring in stage 21 for the parade, the champagne. I was just, I was thinking about it like, no climber would ever get to the Champs-Élysées. It'd be so sad. Like, no climber ever finished. Like, Jonas has done all his work, just gets traded out for a sprint squad. <laughs> like, Olive Collie comes in for the final stage to beat the sprint. Jonas has done all the work, and he just can't wear the yellow jersey on the Champs, you know, so. Yeah, I don't know. Like, does what do you think? Like, is it what about the full embrace of it? And, like, you can use a sub at the correct time, you know, and just it's not – it's not ignored. It becomes a tactic of the sport. I think, like, I think Lefebvre put in that article on Scope Collective there was, it's, like, not saying I agree with everything he says, but he sort of said that. <laughs> Careful, he, mate. He sort of, <laughs> but he said that, um, you know, Dangerous. I think he, he had a good point that he mentioned that it's actually part of the resilience of our sport. It's like, you know, when the chips are down, you might only have three guys and they, they come out and they win a stage or, you know, they do something positive because there's only three guys left in the race. And it's just like part of the reality. And then like the whole bunch like might be like 100, 100 riders that get to the Champs-Élysées. But like everyone's been through every single stage and you're just like, that's part of cycling. I, don't, I think you'd lose that with substitution. You know, guys like 
yeah, if I, yeah, that you know that TT was hard yesterday. Hey, you like? Yeah, but did you do stage fifteen? I, I, it's fine. I don't know, but like, I, I, <laughs> I agree with you if you can just sub out willy nilly and hold teams and things like that. I totally agree with you. But one rider, only one, and it can only be done in the first week. Is it going to change it that much? What, what time do they get? They get the riders' time who pulled out. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. What, 10 minutes because he broke his collarbone and finished the stage? Yeah, well, that, that's, that's what I mean. That's bad, that's bad luck. Oh, you mean like they so he doesn't finish the stage, so he gets- Well, he gets- The guy who doesn't finish the stage gets the last place riders' time. I'm really glad you're not high up in rulemaking. Man. Why? What's wrong with that? <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> I mean, like, like the worst case scenario is team time trial first day. Everybody skins their asses, like happened, to, you know, at the Welter last year. It, it does happen, and it's just shit when it does. But that's it. That's part of the sport. I agree with everything the Fever says. Hey boys, I tell you what, someone's trying to get a job over there at Quick Step. Both of you guys, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh. All right, so that's it for me, and we'll pass it on to Tom. Here we are, Talking Tactics, my segment here, boys. Uh, now, I've just come back from Gran Camino, tough little four-day race in uh, Galicia, northern Spain. You, I guess neither of you two ever did it, did you? Unfortunately, yeah, it wasn't around when I was still racing. Yeah. I would have loved to have hit that one up, honestly. I love Galicia. Great wine, you know, good surf. Yeah, well, I recommend that you don't do it. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a seriously tough little race. It's, um, I mean, the three, two and a half to 3,000 climbing, actually climbing meters every day. Heavy, heavy, heavy rain every day. And just... Uh, absolute dominance from Jumbo Visma. I mean, it was a bumper mm. weekend for them anyway across the whole thing, but they bought their team with Jonas there for his first race. Last year, he won every stage of the race, and this year, he won every stage of the race. And Did he, though? I mean, didn't, he win, didn't he not win the time trial? His, the I time saw his trial way, didn't count. He's way back, though. So the, if He didn't he get the full you, dominance. I reckon if he'd wanted to. Actually, no, Tarling would have pushed him. Yeah. Oh, I, um, I couldn't find his name been. in the list. I had to seriously go bottom up. Yeah. Well, that was a day. I actually offered to ride the TT for one of the riders, like for Hugh Carthy. I was like, I'll put your kit on and I'll because it doesn't count. <laughs> and then uh, I read an article about a guy getting banned uh, for, for a year today for having his mechanic race instead of one of his other <laughs> <laughs> oh, women in really? numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, it's, it's Danny Van der Hout, the guy from uh, Jelly Belly. Used to manage them, so anyway, oh, right. that tactic done. But I mean, m- m- the thing, the takeaway for me was uh, whether Jonas really needed to win every single stage, mm. um, and not just in terms of oh, it looks bad or he's winning too much, but in terms of the way that Visma was spending their energy. So, if there's a break down the road that, like, you know, in the days where you feel like, oh, okay, there's no one on GC, we're going to ride a conservative race because we've got the jersey. Or even if one of those guys gets the jersey, it's a mountaintop finish. It, it, it's a guy from the pro Conny team. We're going to take it back without a doubt. Every day, the uh, the break was just uh, annihilated, basically. Even when we got to the day, we had seven minutes with Piccolo in there. Like, okay, now we've got a crack. Now we've got a shot. Sure enough, sped up. 
Jonas leaves, does his thing, goes solo, rides away from everyone. And you're all just kind of scratching your heads going, don't you guys want a day off or, mm. you know? I don't know. How, how does it look from your side, Mitch, watching just seeing the same guy win and win and win? Well, again, goes back to the classics thing that you were saying. I, I don't know, like the tour his, is his main goal. It's it's early. Like I was, I I saw this, and I've got it. I'm not a data guy, but this I just had to do some numbers when I was doing this. Apparently, up the climb, Lacoria, if you pronounce that correctly, he did twenty eleven minutes twenty five at six point nine watts per kilo, and I'm like, oh, what does that even mean? Is that even that good? And I was like, oh yeah, that's four hundred eighteen watts at sixty kilo. I'm like, oh, what does that look like for me? I was like, that's 520 watts for me. I was like, oh, okay, maybe I could do that for a one-off 12 minutes. I don't know. I couldn't. That's like my best five-minuter. So then the next day, up uh, Decuso or whatever it is, Alto Decuso or whatever the climb was called, he does again 10 minutes of 418 watts. The last four minutes, he does at 8.3 watts per kilo. That's 500 watts. Average for four and a half minutes for a 60 kilo guy. Do you know what I would have had to do to stay in his wheel? And I say 75, I'm actually probably about 80 these days. 625 watts <laughs> for four and a half minutes. This was, this is unbelievable. Like, I just, that's insane. And it's this time of year. So it looked total dominance, but from the TV, again, that data only put in perspective for me. From the TV, you're like, oh yeah, maybe the field's not that good, or you know, it's a small race, so maybe he's riding away with ease. But now with that data, I'm like, no, he's like, he is so fit. He is so dominant. I don't know. Like I just I just don't know where the Peloton and I need to hear this now maybe from Derb. I don't know where the Peloton is now because in previous years it was a, a slow progression with these guys. These were I use in inverted commas, training races with a with a direction to build form. But does that even exist anymore? Like, like where does, does he take a break now and does he come back up? Or is this just his starting building phase and he just takes it up from 8.3 watts per kilo to 9 to 10 watts per kilo? I, I find that, like, it's not that different from when we go saying we was planning to win the tour. Like he would come to Paris-Nice, they picked like five stage races that they were going to just like nail, you know what I mean? And then he would go away, go back to training camp, recover, do whatever. Like they would come in, he would win Paris-Nice, you know, he would go and win, I don't know, Tour Romandy, and he would go and win the Dauphiné, and then he would rock up the Tour and win the Tour. Like, and that was like a real skinny-off model. Like maybe Camino, it sounds like, yeah, smaller race, but- he did the exact same thing last year and he won the tour. Like he just went and destroyed Camino. That's his like early season tester. He goes back, he'll rest. He'll probably go and destroy Basque like he did last year. Was it Basque or Catalonia? One or the other? Destroy that one. <laughs> then rest again. Destroy it. Um, oh, it has to be destroying. Can't we just run? It has to be destroying. It is. It is. It's destroying. You see it. It is destroying. It's actually destroying people. And then like he might come to uh, Dolphinac and just destroy that and then go to the tour. So it's like, yeah, I get it. Like it's early, but he's not racing that much. He's probably ticking like four stage races before the tour that he's going to go and really do like come down to altitude, test his form, hit him hard, go and recover, go back again. I'm not saying it's easy. Like no one can do what he does. Like that's why he's the best. But yeah, I don't know. It's not, I, I also think one of it, like everyone would love to see Jumbo fail because of the way they race. 
Does that make sense? Like, mm. no one really wants to help Jumbo out. Like, the way they race the classics, like, you know, people are more than happy to see Quickstep win, Trek win, fucking Lotto win, uh, you know, Shadow win, anyone win really other than Jumbo. And that doesn't really help but do you- in every race going into the season. I know they don't care, but- like, Do you think it was like that sometimes. when Quickstep were the dominance? Well, still potentially can be, but do you think people were happy with them when Quickstep didn't win? You know, now Yumbo's taken that role over. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it's always sport. that. Yeah. yeah, it's always that thing. It's, it was the same with Sky, right? I mean, mm. now do people want Ineos to win suddenly? Win. I wouldn't go that far, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I think what, one of the really interesting things for me is like, you have a guy like Vingegaard or, you know, Pogacar or Remco. And I saw you saw it with the races that Remco did earlier in the year. They've got this thing in their, like in their back, in their arsenal, basically. Like when their team run out or when they get into difficulty, they just go, you know, like it's like, okay, well, uh, they've ridden too hard. Like, because most of those teams ride too hard, harder than is necessary, I think. And they go, I'm just going to go, sod it. Mm. And it's, it's, it's really hard to deal with because it's not like, once you get them isolated or on their own, they're just going to take off from you. <laughs> is it, does that so come like, back to? Is that come back to now? With I guess it's a tactic in a way. It's just confidence in the numbers. You know, you saw whether well, this is true or not. Back in the in the Armstrong era, I remember seeing the doco, um, whatever it was. I can't remember now. Um, so many docos about him and their team. But it was about when Ferrari started to understand, you know, power to weight. Um, watts per kilo and they knew that pantani couldn't sustain that watts per kilo that he just had these bursts and then all of a sudden this new idea of racing came that hey we know what people can and can't do to a degree with power meters and things like that now everyone's got the confidence in their own you know let's look at vingard there the confidence in their own ability he knew what he could do out training it's just repeat again it's almost turning into an element of triathlon racing yeah, you, know, you go and do your your Ironman. You know what you can do out training, so you go and just repeat in the race, regardless of what your teammates and your competitors are doing. You're like, cool, get out front, push my watts. I know that's going to be no one else yep. can do those watts. Hit hit the lap button, you know. It's just like, oh yeah, bam, lap, let's go. And and people do that. It's different type of racing, man. Super exciting, isn't it? It's just awesome. <laughs> it's just the way it's, it's just what? like. I actually want to dive into a bit more exciting, uh, one more like tactical thing that I picked mm. up on, which was Ben O'Connor's win on Jebel Jays, which like I loved. Um, I think the, like the two for attack is, um, I don't know, the jury's out. I've always, because I mean, you guys won't know about this, but we used to have a, a crit series in the UK called the Tour Series, which was like, a, it was a team's competition. So it was, it was one, each, each crit, it was the best three from every team. So there are always these people coming up with these like scams to attack with three people or two people or and I've always sort of like with the British base riders laughed at, you know, the kind of the two riders going at the same time or three riders going at the same time, you know. But Rubio did it on the same climb last year. He went away with his teammate and then left him alone. Rubio tried it on Jebel Jays this year. It didn't work. And Ajidazan absolutely nailed it. Hmm. And you actually asked him, didn't you, Durbo, whether it was planned or had a word with him after for me and uh what did he say yeah so i spoke to Benno and i said like what was the plan there and he sort of i think he sort of took a little idea from last year with the two up attack but also Benno is not as punchy as um what was the other writer's name Pally punch as a Pally fan he's like quite punchy and um ben was asking him well they'd spoken about it beforehand he said if you're feeling good i'd like you to you know launch me because Ben has like a really high sustained power but he's not 
in terms of like sprinting. You can't just like punch out. And I think it's once you establish the gap, Ben can hold the gap. But to get that gap away from the riders, that shock effect, you really need someone mm. that's like really punchy. So when he asked his uh, Panipan if he was ready to go, he was like, yeah, I feel good. I feel good. He's like, okay, go. And he, he went. And then apparently he didn't go hard enough. And Ben's just like, no, sprint. And then the guy's just like, oh, okay, I'll sprint. And you see, he goes once and sort of doesn't really get the gap. And then he just goes, look, Vegas, oh, okay, you mean really go? And then he just goes. And Ben's like literally yo-yoing off the back of the wheel, like can barely hold the wheel. But because it caught, the shock was like so much, it just ripped them out of the peloton. And then Ben's just pretty much sustained the same effort all the way to the top to win the stage. It was it's pretty cool. Like like you said, Tom, you don't see new tactics every now and then. It was actually pretty cool to see. No, I, 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 don't think, I, I don't think that's something that you can decide like 100% on the bus before the race. You know, like it's no. not like your DS stands up and says, right, we're going to do a two-man attack at kilometer 165. That's something that has to come from the riders, I think. Like, let's do it. Let's commit to it. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever done it in your careers, but... Well, we did once in Tour of Norway. Um, I had like, I was in 23 and I was uh, I was actually just outside the jersey. I think it was like a 30 seconds off the jersey in the final stage. Um, and I got Michael Hepburn to come and launch me because I also couldn't get the gap. And he did the same thing. And we just went like, yeah, Rabobank under 23, we're riding. Hepi just comes from the bleachers with me on the wheel and just does a minute as hard as he can. And I can barely hold the wheel. It's like, ah, like on and off. And he pulls out, and then I just keep going. Anyway, I was like in the virtual lead, going on to going to win the stage, and probably like inside five k to go, and I double punctured, and they didn't have a car behind me. So like it was one of those under twenty three rides, just really bad, sad stories. But anyway, yeah, it did work. So, but I think it really works when you've got someone that like is like a diesel, or like someone who can hold mm. the wheel, but someone who then who's got this like get out of jail free one minute because you need to do that really establish the gap like bang you know the right but combo, if you, yeah. someone who can't do that it doesn't work yeah well we we obviously yeah. see the the two upper italian attack and Durbo and Heyman going up the road all day together that sort of style but um we uh <laughs> we don't often see like you said I, I call it just the elongated lead out essentially yeah, what did you call an attack? It's so close to the line. It's essentially just a well-timed lead-out, in my opinion. You're inside the last five k. It's a lead-out. So, so they did a lead-out. Like like nobody it's like else did a lead-out for Kittle. Well, they couldn't hang on to the wheel. <laughs> oh, come on. You can't claim that as an attack. I don't think that's a plan. That's just essentially like me just doing a lead-out for Matthews back in the day. Like, how come I wasn't doing the two-man <laughs> attack? I've done heaps of two-man attacks. Heaps. So, so you're, calling, you're, calling a full lead, you're calling a full lead out. Like, so a six-man lead out is a six-man attack if you don't, if you don't lose the <laughs> Totally. Fight. There's been so many teams' attacks you've missed. Did you see <sighs> that great- did, did, Yeah. Did you see the great team attack by Astana <laughs> over in Colombia? Great. Yeah. Well, on that note, boys, I'm going to wrap up my segment after Mitch just shit can my, uh, <laughs> my, <laughs> my choices. <laughs> oh, uh, so that's me. All right, here we go. The community quiz. And yes, you know what? Durbo's put his hand up this week, and I get a chance to try and stitch Southern up, which should be pretty interesting from my side. Derbs? The community quiz. Thank you, Harry, for the name. 
But what I've decided is that we've got uh, something to play for. We're going to call it a shout card. And um, so whenever we see each other, you have to shout someone their drink of their choice. So if I see you at a race, Southern, there'll be yeah. a beer like coming over to your table stealthily. If I'm one the last week before, you have to, you know, give me a brew or something, Mitch, when you come to Europe, you know, like, so whenever we see it's on, you've got the shout card. So you don't want the shout card because that means you've lost the quiz. So, so does the shout card only apply like who's got it week in, week out? So if I don't see you between, and I lose this week, if I don't see Southern between next week, the shout card's off my shoulders or it just builds up. I've got like five shout cards no, to give to Southern. No, no, no. It's just, it's just one card and it doesn't actually matter. So, for example, I do, you could encourage people to actually do the quiz because you're sort of like off the shout card situation. Right. So, at the moment, like if you lose, Mitch, you get the shout right, card. Right, right. You just pass and it you on. you see us, yeah. you have to shout me and him. You just pass it on. But that's how we're going to play this year. I like it. Quiz. Okay. All right. This is a general quiz knowledge. I actually just did like a pub quiz situation and then I did a few oh, little shit. quizzes at the back end. All right. Now, if you don't don't get it, just I think what we should do is first person come out and say it. If not, I'll just like go to the next question. You know what I mean? It's like rapid fire. Don't worry if you don't get it. I'll just say the answer if you don't get it within a couple of seconds. The suspense for everyone back home. Oh, yeah. Purely for our own benefit. Okay, here we go. General knowledge. What's the smallest country in the world? Liechtenstein. No. Religious. Oh, Vatican City. Oh, Southern. What's the slang name local New Yorkers call their city? The Big Apple. Apparently, Gotham City. Oh, that's all right. Half a a a point for me. (laughs) Come on. Half a point. No, half a point. Longest river in the world. Uh, The Tom. (sighs) Best selling book of the 21st century. Harry Potter. Oh, Tom, you're oh my God. Yes, you're Bring Tom to the pub quiz. Oh, I don't even know if I'll say this because Tom's just going to get another point. Famous <laughs> Bristol artist. Oh, Banksy. Yes. Banksy. Oh, oh, nice. oh yeah. Mitch, Mitch. Got Dude. rolled at home. Unbelievable. All right, this one got to be real quick. Listen to the question because you're both going to get it. City the Beatles are from? Liverpool. London. Oh, Tom. Nice one. No. What was Nike originally called? Adidas. <laughs> no. Like I was already going to point something. No. Okay. It's called no. Blue Ribbon Sports. Oh. Okay. Yeah. This is a multiple choice, this one. Oldest brewery in the world. There's uh, three choices. There's Wien and Staffen Abbey. Germany. I can't actually pronounce it. Wick, like, you wanna, yeah. might have heard of it. Anyway. Faversham Brewery, um, Shepherd Neum, or the Ansa Bush, or AB InBev, which is in Belgium. I'm going to go with the German brewery. I would do Tom? the same, but I'll go for a different one just for the hell of it. I'll go for uh, the Belgian one. Okay. Yeah, Mitch is right. Oh, I knew Abbey. that one. So we're two to four oh, at this current point. Oh, two and a half. Big apple. <laughs> All right. Simon Yates, his middle name. James. Oh, Isn't it James? No idea. You say? It's James, I, I thought. No well, because it's the reason I say it because it's always on the results sheet. It's like next to his name. It's like those random ones they just add the middle name. You know that one? Is it not James? 
It's not James. Okay. Awesome. Well, I thought because like every time you look down, it just says like Simon. Oh wait, wait. I'm still thinking. Um, no, you're no, not. <laughs> you're just, all right. Wait a sec. Still Matt thinking. Go- wait, I got another. No, Matt Goss's middle name. Harley. Yes. Oh, no, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, boys. We're uh, we're you, you brought it back up. It's three four. Okay. Actually, there's last question. Actually, and so if you get it, it's draw. All right. How many races in the 2024 World Tour? Now, where, let me establish the question. It's not like a stage race is one race. So, World Tour races? World Tour races in general, but like a stage like Paris yeah. is one, one race. Yeah. Okay. 26. Yeah, wait. wait I, I, have, I, have, I have three multiple. Oh. So, 35, 25, or 50. 35. 35 for me. Tom? Southern said 50. Oh, it's a draw. Yes. Got the 30. Plus, so, plus the big anyway. apple. No, no. That's, not, that's not. We're four apiece. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, so, no one shouts anyone. Is that like boring now? I, I didn't know we never had a draw before. We don't know how to deal with this. Penalty shootout. Back, you should have had a backup question. Let's just leave. We can do the backup next week. Well, there you go, boys. That's my quiz. little pub quiz. Nice more rapid. There, no, that's great. More general. Very good, Devs. Guys. Could have chatted with you all morning. I know you guys have got to go to bed, so we'll let you go. Thanks, guys. See you next time. See you, fellas. See you around. Nice one. See you, guys. Bye. That iconic music in this episode was composed by none other than the legend, Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.